You're listening to Australia's number one ski racing podcast, On The Road, sponsored by Coldy's Toe Bars and Bull Bars, featuring Chelsea Stevens, Jack Coldrake, Mick Kelly, Dave Bishop, Tim Horbury, and Wade Bennett. My name's Mick Lumpton, now let's head to the 10. Welcome along to On The Road Podcast number seven. My name's Mick Lumpton, otherwise known as Lumpy, and we have a brand new sponsor. We've got great news. We've got a brand new sponsor on board, ARS Automation Robotic Services, and we'd like to thank them for joining us and being able to help us bring you the On The Road Podcast, and as well as our usual sponsors, Savage Force Merchandise, and of course, Coldy's Toe Bars and Bull Bars. It is competition time once again, thanks to our great sponsors in Mark from Savage Force Merchandise, giving away a limited edition, that's right, limited edition, On The Road Podcast t-shirt, and all you have to do is listen to Jack Coldrake's question at the end, answer that via Facebook, and don't forget to like and share our Facebook page as well. Uh, last time around, we had Chelsea interviewing Damien Matthews. I really hope you enjoyed that. It was a great chat. And thanks so much, Chelsea, for doing a fantastic job. Now, this time around, we have Bishow talking to Britt Dominguez. He's one of the most fascinating stories in water ski racing. It includes the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. But Brett's passion and enthusiasm for the sport is as strong as the day he started. I hope you enjoy. Well, the On The Road podcast and another episode, and I have got with me uh, a guy, and, and I probably pick my marks a little bit with the people that I've spoken to so far, Another guy that's been around a very, very long time, even though he's not that old, but he's done it all and had a crack at everything, and he's one of the guys that I certainly look up to in water ski racing, Brady Deminks. Welcome. Thanks, Bisho. Mate, it's great to be here, and thank you for inviting me down to the uh, the wonderful Deminks Thundernuts Racing TN500 factory this evening. Thank you. Been on a cold, uh, what is it, a Wednesday, Thursday, Melbourne night. Mate, um, I thought we'd just kick off... Um, Let's start with Brett Deminks as a kid. I mean, you know, and we start these, I, I tend to start these off that way all the time because, you know, you've, you've, you're a skier and I'm sure Echuca's going to come into it and, and a lot of other places. But how did you get into the whole water skiing scene? So uh, about 1983, I think, we moved to Echuca. Yeah. Uh, Mum and Dad divorced. I was, before that, we were in Melbourne, grew up in pubs. Um, first home, first home was a pub. Every home was a pub <laughs> after that. Every home's been a pub since. So, <laughs> they haven't been too bad to you though, have they? No, no, they haven't been bad at all. And um, yeah, so mum and dad got divorced in about 1983. Mum decided to pack up and move to Achuca, which is closer to Barham, where she was um, originally from. Yep. So yeah, went up to Achuca, and from there, um, dad just sort of got into a bit of skiing. He was he skied a little bit when he was a bit younger. With mates and whatnot, we skied a little bit around Eildon. Okay. First learnt to ski in Eildon between yep. between Dad's legs, actually. Oh pair, yeah, yeah. Pair, yep. pair of doubles between his doubles and sma- yeah. smashing his ankles. <laughs> <laughs> and um, learnt to ski there, and then Dad just thought, "Oh, we're up in the Chuka, up near the river. It'd be a good idea to, you know, for him to come up and see us every weekend or every second weekend and come connect connect with us up on the river." That's fantastic. So, um, Dad taught you to ski. 
Yeah, essentially, you taught me to ski, yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, and that's what we say about ski racing. I mean, it's the family. It's the only sport where you see mum observing, dad driving, and the kids out the back skiing. So um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, So moving on from there, obviously, so you're skiing up at Echuca. Dad's coming up every weekend, yeah. Um, He buys a boat. So, yeah, he buys buys a boat. He um, buys a a, uh, Flycraft Liberator. With a, oh, wow. with a 450, a jet, Flycraft Liberator <laughs> jet. That is very 1985, with a, with isn't it? With a 454, like, uh, uh, um, yeah, it's 1980, yeah, 1984 Bachelor Boat of the Year, actually. It, yep. was, it was Bachelor Boat of the Year to the fact that it was called Foreplay and it was actually featured in Playboy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, I guess Dad was a single man at the time, was he? Well, he was probably... very, Dad was very single, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we we had this we had this boat called Foreplay that we used to yeah hang out in the Murray and hang just sit on the sandbag all day and he drink um drink cans and we'd get him to take us for a ski every now and again. And Dad enjoyed his ski as well, obviously. Yeah, he liked skiing. He, he he did. He got got used to pull on the budgie smugglers and get out there and have have a burn around. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, you know, it all got taken up with us over the years. You know, like say so he'd only get out. Yeah, you know, if we were skiing every day, he'd get out once a, once a week. But you know, yeah, he'd get out there and have a ski. Yeah, he absolutely loved it. That's awesome. So, um, and obviously, I'm going to assume maybe Southern Eighty might have been the first ski race you've had to look at because you're in a Chuka or no? Well, we're up in Chuka, and then one weekend we go to actually. This is pretty naive. We went to go skiing. We went, went to go skiing, and there's bloody all these ski race boats leading up to February, all that running up and down the river and going, oh, that looks pretty cool. Yeah. We've actually gone to go for a ski one weekend and the, the river's closed. You know, what the <laughs> hell is all this about? So we ended up going down the east for that and sort of actually missed the race. So, so you've avoided the Southern 80, your so, first Southern 80 weekend. Yeah, first Southern 80 weekend. So we've, we've sort of missed it, effectively. <laughs> we missed, missed out on the best party of all time. <laughs> and um, it sort of got... then figured out exactly what that all that was all about and we got oh shit we've got to get a part of this so yeah the year after all of a sudden we've, we've decided that's it we're going to be um we're a team you know it was um dad my uncle timmy yes and, um me and scott so yeah we're lined up to do our first southern 80 and it's all pretty exciting so are we in the liberator now or we, we, still, we still well we still had the flycraft at that stage we still yep. had full play yep so we got to the week before week before the southern 80 and um, uh, Dad's rung up in, on the old landline and um, goes, God, got really bad news. Uh, I don't think we're going to be racing. We, uh, someone's just stolen the boat. Oh, what? Really? So it's just disappeared, poof, out of the um, streets of Brighton or wherever, wherever it was he was living. So um, it's been knocked off and gone, what are we going to do? So anyway, we, he, Dad was never one to give up. On anything? No, we know that for sure. <laughs> so in the week, I think it was the week or the week and a half leading up to the eighty, um, goes out and finds a flight, a um, gill flight with a four fifty, another four fifty four rear mount. Yep. Um, aptly named Thundernuts. Now I want to touch on that. I was going to ask you about the gill flight because I knew that the gill flight was the I first know where boat. This is going. <laughs> well, your dad tells a, a beautiful story, and uh, it may remain in the abyss as a myth, or, or we could have it. Confirmed or denied, but tell me the story that your dad tells about the naming of that boat. Oh, he sort of got put on the spot one time at the Southern 80 and got a camera jammed down his, <laughs> jammed down his throat and said, hey, where'd you come up with the name? And he comes up with that story about <laughs> a little kid come up to me and go, well, why don't you call the boat Thunder Nuts? <laughs> <laughs> 
to look back on it, it was probably the most cringeworthy thing I've seen when I first saw it. And now when I see it, it's just absolutely... It's, it's hilarious. Mate, it's legendary. It's gone in in folklore. Well, yeah, I'm not here to... Dis- to Dispel? No, I'm not here to dispel the myth. <laughs> but... <laughs> Well, mate, the mere fact that you use the term myth, maybe, but who knows? Um, but you know what? It's a ripping story, and we'll just run with it, I reckon. Oh, the cracking yarn, but like I said, it's probably the most cringeworthy thing the first time I've seen that. <laughs> oh, man, what are, you, what are you doing? <laughs> it is a ripper. So for anyone that's listening, jump on a Southern 80 video. I reckon it's about 2000-ish, maybe, something like that. Yeah. And he tells the story. He tells it so well, too, because Michael was a people person. Yeah, wasn't he? I think he believed it. That stage, yeah, do you believe it? So, <laughs> that's all that matters, mate. That's all that matters. So, yeah, but um, the, that that awesome gill flight, which you know has been what such a wonderful part of our lives. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I re, I attempted to recreate it in the Malibu that I've got now. Yeah, Malibu response. So okay. I had the whole thing red metal flake. Yes, with a bit of, with the silver highlights and everything. Because so, it was a remount too, wasn't it, Bradsky? Yeah. which is very rare. It was gill flight laser, wasn't it? Gill flight laser, yeah. Yeah, red and silver. Yep. Yeah, it's actually, for those that don't know, in Brett's uh, race factory here, we've got photos on the floor of all the old boats, which is very cool, and it also helps for my memory, so, <laughs> but um, very cool boat, so you, you're trying to recreate that with the... So, I try to, yeah, I try to re- recreate that, so yeah, every time, I, I think it's only, I think I'm the only one who really gets it, but every time I see my old um, Malibu response, it's, yeah, yeah, it just reminds me of the old um, gill flight. Well, you are, you like the old stuff, and you like the retro, and, and, and you are... I think you're probably a bit like me in terms of loving the history of the sport and the history of how things went down, and I guess that's just part of how you're made up. Yeah, I like to look back on those times, and yeah, I don't want don't want to ever let them go too much. So yeah, hundred percent. No, it's cool. What what if you found the old gill flight? Would you? Uh, would that be? A... I do. I have been offered it three or four times actually, and probably yeah. most recently, I think it's over in Yarrawonga, and it was offered for sale, and I think it had a bit of a Brett Minks price tag on it. Yeah. Yeah, you can't be silly about those at, things. At the time, I think, it, yeah, she might have been, she might have been a little <laughs> bit high, a bit of GST for historical value. Yeah, so we might just wait for that one. Day. I, I've got no doubt one day we'll. Hopefully, the owner's not listening. I've got no doubt one day it'll end up it'll end up back in the back in the um, back in the shed somewhere. Mate, I hope it does. If it does, we'll do a little story on that. I reckon that'd but be very cool. I think at the time it was it was actually still in too good a nick to be part of what I wanted to do with it. So, yep. yeah, I think it's probably got a couple of lifetimes to go and a couple of more um, ski seasons with families and then it'll end up back with me. Cool. Well, that's what I like to hear. I like the, the history. The, the the number, 500. I mean, 500 synonymous with Thundernuts. Yep. Where'd it come from? I think it was 500 cubic inch or something like that. No, line. 500. It was... Um, at, back in the day, we had um, oh, Island Cooler with 444. Yep. Uh, to Ted Hurley with 454. Yep. And um, Dad really just wanted to one-up. <laughs> so it was wanted to, to get one over Hurley well, and uh, Robot. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that's who we're racing at the time, and that's, you know. Yeah. So we had to come up, we had, we had to be a number, and yeah. So Dad really just um, went with 500 just to be top of the tree. So that was later on, obviously, once you went to the Everinghams and... and... Uh, yeah, once we started doing... Uh, 500 came from lake racing. So right. once once we started hitting like hitting lakes and doing all that, actually it was probably before it was before um, Island Cooler. It was back more the Ted Hurley days. Yep. Yeah. So Ted, I think it was Ted. Yeah, four fifty four, and I think Minimum Fuss might have had a higher number too. But yeah, Dad just goes, oh, I've got to go a higher number. 
Because that's what's cool. Yeah. And Ted Hurley was cool. Well, Ted Hurley was very cool. Recovery, Rolco. What brings me to probably my next question, which was uh, the Lake Cooper days. Now, I started racing at Lake Cooper, but you probably started late. Well, actually, I started maybe a year after Cooper had started in the 93-94 season I began. And I think it kicked off about 92, 93, or maybe 91. 91. 91, I reckon, Lake Cooper. Lake yeah. Lake, or Lake Lindsay is a... Probably like to refer to it. Lindsay Beer for those. <laughs> Lindsay will probably listen to this. So, oh, I hope he does because, uh, yeah, mate, he was a fantastic. Like he, he just did so much work to get mm. that whole operation up and running, and it was probably the best operation we'll ever see in it racing. It's a, a real shame, isn't it? I mean, that's all that fantastic. For those people who don't know, fantastic infrastructure, boat ramp, clubhouse, swimming pool, caravan park, race tower. All the mums, all the mums doing the dimmies and the. Chips and the buddy, yeah, you know, the bar there. You know, we had a right full blown race tower run by Fran, yep, you know, Ronnie's little Ronnie's little caravan beside it, yes, running, Ron, of running, the commentator, running Maureen beside it. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was, you know, I still look back on that, and that was like just the, the golden days, yeah. So, racing. that is for you still the oh, massive highlight, but, but yeah, before that, it was, it was still it was the traveling circus before that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think probably the best base was for mine was um, Lake Epilock. Yes, you know, running out, running out, of, running out of the um, skate, the um, boat club down there at Lake Epilock and whatnot. Yeah, that was great racing. But you know, between v, VWSA and VSCC, you'd end up at Barham Beat, you'd end up Glen Maggie, you'd end up all these great joints every you know every weekend to be something different. So you never really had a, a lake that where you knew it backwards. You know, you knew all the problems coming out of the top corner. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you never actually learn to track. You just rock up and then just be different every day. Yeah, and different weather conditions from the last time you were there as well. Hundred percent. So, so you just never get to learn it. Whereas like Cooper, we actually started to get to learn it and understood un- it. Under- understood it, and we did that many laps around there. Then you had to figure out something. <laughs> well, it was a pretty wild place to race, especially on a wild day. She was, oh, uh... she blew she blew a southerly or blew a southerly or northerly. It was off the charts. Yeah, you know. Blown, if it blew down to the Lake Cooper shop down there, you know, you're, you're heading, heading, you know, you'd start off, you'd start off doing 100 mile an hour and you'd end up at the bottom corner doing 40. Yeah, the corrupt shop. The corrupt shop. Corrupt. Sausage rolls. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Named after the noise a, a, a um, pelican makes, apparently. Corrupt. Corrupt. Yeah. There you yeah. go. There you go. So I'm, I'm more for about the useless information. I drive risky. past... Lake Cooper a lot these days, and I don't see too many pelicans on there, unfortunately. No, they're not into the dust, unfortunately. No. They're in the dust. It is a real shame, but uh, it was, as you say, the people involved at that time, amazing effort to uh, pull that together. Yeah, and that for me, you know, everyone's got their everyone's got their golden days, and up in New South Wales, they've got Wiseman's and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know, for mine, that was that was our golden era of ski racing. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's when I started, as you say. So, you know, I've rolled in and seen the Thunder Nutses and the 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 recoveries and you know all those boats the moon shots I spoke to Lester a couple of weeks ago and correct um you know just the, it was going on wasn't it what about the Lake Cooper Rat Pack though like, I like to refer to them you know I mean there was yourself your brother probably Adam Adam Khan and uh, Lucas Brown and <laughs> <laughs> the Rat Pack was going on wasn't it oh we had um, we had so many good times back then <laughs> Lukey Brown Lockie Weimer driving us home buddy back to Assumption. Um, yeah, because we're, we're at Assumption those days. Yeah. So we're, you know, we'd finish racing and, you know, obviously someone would have a drink or whatnot. And we'd have to... We'd <laughs> you have, didn't because you're underage. I was underage. So I was very good. I was only back in year 10, year 11 then. Yeah, so yeah. Completely different story. So, yeah, someone would be... Had, we'd have to just hitch a ride with whoever was going back, there, back down to Melbourne. Yeah. So, yeah. 
But like Lake Cooper, back to Lake Cooper. It's historic. It's it's geographical location. Really, what made it what it was, I believe. Yeah. You know, it was half an hour from Machuca. It was half an hour from Shepparton, where yep. all those awesome ski racing families out of Shepparton came from. Yep. And you know, an hour and a half from Melbourne. It's like it, it, geographically, it was just perfect. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you're right. Like it was so easy. I mean, we race at Lake Charm now, and you and I diehards, and we'll drive out three and a half hours, but it. Becomes yeah. a big drive, doesn't it? Yeah, nothing against, nothing against Lake Charm. I think if Lake Charm was anywhere ge- anywhere else geographically, it'd be it'd, it'd be incredible. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I love Lake I love Lake Charm. And I love the ski club up there, and the, they do such a good job. Yeah, but geographically, we're not dragging any any extra members or any extra people like the like the Lake Cooper days. You know, yeah, people who come, friends and families and everything would come from Shepparton and Chirka, and all of a sudden they'd see ski race and they'd get into it. I've done well to stick to the uh, the format so far with the questions, but I'm going to go off on a tangent because you, you've made me want to ask you about some stuff that we did, and this this is later on in my question list, but we'll do it now because we're talking about it. Um, for and, and I've got to commend you as well because you're one of the few superclass guys that has got on the board and worked on, on a board, and you and I worked on the board for quite a few years along with Graham French, Richard Partington, and we did take the show on the road for those few years. And I, I'm with you. I really enjoyed that whole... We went to Lake Bulamirai. We went to Painesville, Meetun, um, and Lake Lake Maggie we got blown out at yeah. once. But um, I really enjoyed that, and I think you did too. I, I really... I was at, yeah, I was a big big supporter of us taking it back to other areas and taking it back to other places. Like I said, nothing against Lake Charm. Lake Charm is, Lake Charm is probably one of the best locations in Australia. You know, it's got all. It's got the facilities. It's got it. That's great. Like, yeah. really gets blown out. You know, but it's really not taking it to the people, and it's not taking the show on the road. You need the travelling circus at the end of the day to take the sport to the people. You know, so in that in that time that we were on the board, you know, we had some great stuff going on. We, you know, we were down in Painesville, down at Meetung. Yeah. You know, trying to get out of those places, and we also like delved a lot into Geelong. Yeah, yeah, we did. We raced there a few times, eh? Which is what it's all about. It's getting it to the people. I'd yeah. get I'd get people coming to the pub, you know, the week after we'd been down to Geelong, and they go, "Man, I we're driving we're driving past, look at Cryo Bay, and there's people skiing out there. There's a race on." <laughs> I go, "Yeah, we had a world selection down there, or we had yeah, you know, the Knowles bloody um, uh, the Australian series, yes, down which, there. yep." You know, all these great things were really happening at the time, and you know, here we are. Here we are again, regressing into you know, no real, no real future apart from the real safety zones. And you know, obviously, that's got a lot to do with money to go out and explore new places, yeah. and it's got a lot to do with you know, bureaucrats and yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Getting permits to go somewhere different is, is the biggest. As yeah. you know, mate, you've been involved. Um, and the other problem, I think, too, is just logistically getting people to cart your stuff around as well. Um, we were really lucky in the time we were in because we did have a bunch of good... I remember leaning on my nephew, Matty White, all the time. Mate, you got to tell a rescue boat to the races, you know? And he'd just do it because I was his uncle and I made him, you know? But, yeah, it, finding people to do that stuff's hard, eh? But when we did, went down to... We did a reconnaissance down to Lake Bullamerick. We're down Camperdown. It was a big day. And, and I've, I've got there and I've thought, this, we need to be here twice a year. Mm. You know, this location, little country town, the middle of nowhere, back to not, not exactly what I'm saying about taking it to the people. But, but it did take you the Western District, which is a place that we didn't really go, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, we have a Ballarat crew. We've got all those sort of crew mm. too. 
that we, you know, get neglected a fair bit. They have to do all the travelling as well. Yeah, sorry for the city people listening. They've got no idea what we're talking about. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but we get, don't care, though. But they, <laughs> but they get it. You know, they don't have they don't have the travelling circus as well. You know, yeah. it's not that Wangla Dam or Carol that you know going to Yass and you know all those awesome places and you know the struggles to get onto Botany Bay and things like that. You know, whereas you know we we spent a lot of time up in Sydney in our early years. Yeah, you know, back in the nineties, we're up and down the we're up and down the Hume Highway nearly every second weekend. Yeah, well, I remember that, and I suppose we, we'll move on through to that. Um, you, you know, you obviously felt like, and, and as I said, I spoke to Lester a week or so ago, um, and he felt like the big show was in Sydney in those days. Um, in terms of a lot of the good skiers and teams and boats were from up there, was that a similar thing for you guys? Hundred percent. That's where all the racing was. You know, like um, our racing down here was really. It, for, well, it still was for ages. It was just four lap, four lap sprints. Yeah, you know, it really wasn't. Yeah, you really weren't testing yourself as such. You really wanted to be on the big stage. And back then, you know, they they made the rule that you know you had to do so many races at Region Five if you wanted to go ski over in America. Yes, that's right. Well, yeah, Region Five was the Region Five of the USA, wasn't it? Yeah. So you had to quali- you had to actually qualify through Region Five if you wanted to go to the states. Yeah. So that was half a lure as well. Yeah. But through that, you know, we ended up going up there and testing ourselves at the... Um, uh, I Actually, when I was still at um, Assumption, I'd get picked up in a truck <laughs> by <laughs> some random truckie, <laughs> drive through Kilmore, pick me up and take me to Peter Ross's house up in um, Sydney and I'd ski behind Assage. Really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, was that the Connolly or was that... that... No, that was the Bullet. The, oh yeah, yeah. yeah the, prior the, to the Conley in Mock, yeah, yeah. Because then he went the, the Conley, which was Network, yeah, boat, and then then he built that. Um, remember that Conley with all the, the steps, and the, the one with the no nose, yeah, yeah. That never really made it to the water. Didn't I think that nearly made it to the water recently. But yeah, I used to go. So I'd get on. I'd just get in the truck. And I'd travel with a tr- with a in a, <laughs> in a truck for bloody ten hours. Some trucky smoking darts the whole way. <laughs> Get, get dropped off at Pete's buddy <laughs> chip shop, you know, chip factory. Yeah, um, hang out with him. Yeah, hang How out. How old are you at this stage? Oh, 16. Yeah, well, it's a life experience for you. Yeah, and um, yeah, and then all of a sudden back on the train or back on the, back in another truck and back to school, back to school and back to school Monday. And so was that organised by like Dad teed that up, didn't he? Yeah, or... Dad and Peter Ross. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So... <laughs> and... Chuck the kid in the truck, get him up here. Get me right. How how bad can it be? (laughs) Yeah, he's only driven for 14 days from Brisbane three times this week. Um, That's that's unreal. But then you went overseas, didn't you? In fact, for school. I think you went and lived in New Zealand for school. No, no, I lived... Oh, no, well well past, moved over over to New Zealand with Narelle, actually. Oh, right, that was later. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, well later. Yeah. Yeah. No. Before... Did you ski over there? Did you race no, over there at all? I tried to. Uh, hate. Don't want to think about it. Actually. <laughs> oh, so I... I've, I've said there's all these topics. Can I touch on? You said it's fine, but uh, skiing in New Zealand's not. <laughs> oh, it's probably my biggest low light. <laughs> I, I took my ski over there. I thought, oh, you know, you never know. You might, you might want to go for a ski. Anyway, hooked it up, teed up with. I can't remember who, and if they're listening, well, please touch base. <laughs> but you probably don't want to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Rocked on down to wherever it was, just out of just out of Auckland. There's a race on out there. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, jumped, hooked the rope on, did um, mock down the first down the first straight, and buddy, 
forgot what mop was like. I think I might have been yep. a superclass gear. No fat, wash. And... A fat superclass gear at that time. <laughs> And no, fat X yep. super class go. Training hadn't been high on the list. Training wasn't yeah. high on the list in New Zealand. No. No. And so, my... <laughs> so did we get sprayed or did we just have to wave down a bit? No, I just held just put a little hold on it and um yeah, we backed out the back door. But um yeah, not a not a high memory. Training in New Zealand on the line reg long necks and on a Sunday afternoon with a bunch of bunch of islanders playing cricket was uh yeah yeah, it wasn't really good training. <laughs> but you had fun. Had a ball, yeah, had an absolute ball. Like you got to say about the Kiwis too. I mean, they they are so passionate, and considering they're only a, a nation of what are they eight million or something um, like that. Yeah, sorry to the Kiwis. So Brad Dutton will be listening to this, and he'll go, "You don't even know how many people live here, bro." We don't, to be honest, Brad. But we'll come back and count next time. <laughs> do it in two hands. Um, for the amount of people that they have, to to the quality of. Ski- equipment, skiers, and people is—it's is, an amazing ratio. Oh, but so yeah, well, my my original times back there, back in the nineties, you know, were uh, probably the second or third touring group of New Zealand. Yeah. For the Tasman Challenge. Yeah. So you know, Steve, um, oh, Morley was part of it. Um, Wade Bennett, Wade Bennett, and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Like what the early touring groups, which yeah, back in those days. It was just loose. <laughs> under sixteen, under sixteen boys, and we're just yeah having the time of our life. Having a ball, having yeah. the time of our life. Which and Tasman Challenge was a and is a big part of what you do now, even now. Well, yeah, it's been like Tasman's been a massive part of went went and re um, went back to it as well. Yeah, and um, hopefully get back there again with my kids as well if they if they decide to choose that path, but. Yeah, you know, but back in those back in those days with Coxie and Fran and those guys pushing the barrow, they they did a fantastic job to get that whole organisation up and running. And yeah, twenty four years later or whatever it is, still going. Yeah, still going along. Still going. Oh, Mike Williams, of course. Mike Williams, back in the day. Yep. Um, the Kiwi guy that, that did it all from their end, and then I guess the Dartons have taken taken that on board and ran with it really well. Also um, now, but mate, Trans Tasman. Really good event for those listening that don't know. It's an event for you know junior skiers between New Zealand and Victoria. Yep. Um, Victoria and New Zealand have about the same population, so they figure that's about right, you know. So, uh, but um, you also you've done quite a bit in the United States. I know your dad Mike had lots of friends in the US, and you spent a lot of time over there. We, what was the first, I guess, initiation over there, and what did you do? It was obviously nationals and stuff like that. Yeah. So oh, America was. America was good fun for us to get over. I went to, oh, I think Dad took Scott over there first. Yep. When in under thirteen boys, I went over and did under thirteen to fifteens because he thought it would be fair take one, take the other. Yeah, yeah. However, it was going to be. You so, keep it even. Yeah, and that you know, hence that all came out of our um, Region Five days and whatnot. So we went over and did the nationals over there a couple of times. Met some amazing people. But um, some of that race, some of that racing was fantastic. Yeah, you know, just it was just full blown. You know, it was everything you imagine of nineteen nineteen ninety America. You know, girls with big cans, <laughs> big hair, and yeah, you yeah. Know, and flat bottoms with flat, big paint jobs, flat bottoms with paint jobs, and glossy motors, and yeah, you know, it just it just everything you could possibly imagine. Yeah, and so, it was big in America then too. It was. It was really. It was. It was really strong. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that was good fun. But you know, then we 
So through that, like, so we ended up there a few, ended up there those few times. But then it turned out Scott got an opportunity to go over there and um, uh, race with the team. So yep. he got um, oh, sort of hooked up with um, Gary Sawyer and the Sawyer family over there. Yep. Which is probably, you know, one of the best things that ever happened for us, you know. Because that's then it, turned into a long-time association. Yeah. So he, he, he ended up, oh, what would he, he essentially call it, builds it out. So, yeah. yeah so he, all of a sudden he's over there, you know, at the age of, oh, I can't remember what Scott was then, 20, 20-something. Yeah. You know, living, basically living in America with a job, job with the Sawyer family. He's got his own truck. <laughs> he's, drive, he's, drive, he's driving out to all these lakes, skiing with, you know, Marty Wells and... What's young Brett thinking by this stage? My bloody brother's living the dream. What am I doing back in Melbourne? <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? What am, why am I back here? Why am I here? What have I done? Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, he's just, he, he hooked, up, hooked up there and, yeah, that was, a, that was just great times. And then, obviously, that must have flowed into Catalina's. And I'm sorry, my research isn't that good. I know you've skied Catalina. How many have you done? And, and I've what's done your success th- rate? Three Catalina's, th- four Catalina's and zero to negative success, actually. <laughs> when I say negative, when I say negative success, um, my last two Catalinas was where my hip just where it showed my hip was just absolutely cactus. Yeah. So it was um, it was it, yeah really exposed how bad how bad that was. So yeah, that led on to me actually end up getting a scrape on the hip that got me through for another ten years. Yep. And then um, having the hip replacement, yeah, thirty eight. Yeah, and how is it? Now, fantastic, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. skiing, socially? I, yeah, social ski. I've, I've been in the race ski a few times with it. Yep. Yeah, no dramas. Don't know if the people can hear, but it started pouring here in Melbourne, Brett's ski, so yeah, all of typical Melbourne. Mick Kelly in Queensland will be laughing at us because it's freezing <laughs> and cold and raining down here, but that's okay, Mick. Um, World Championships? Um, World Championships, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I've always been fascinated and loved the concept of ra- um, racing an arrow and all that. Yep. You know, it's something that appealed to me, and I've really looked up to all those guys that did it when I was young, and we were just four-lap specialists down here in Melbourne. That, that's down right. Down in Victoria. Yep. You know, that's all we did. Just went out there, blasted away at 100, tried to do 100 mile an hour for four laps and yeah, you know, hang it up and then go out there and do it again, do it again, do it again, and that's all we did. Yeah, but yeah. for the, the guys doing those air and laps, so yeah, I really, it was a real attraction to me. Yep. Um, so yeah, we tried. I tried my hand a couple of times. Yep. I had one failed. What were your crews when you did that? Yeah, so we really because we never had a boat for it. Yeah. Well, you were running every hands and and whatnot, and let's face it, worlds are generally about rough water. Yeah. So we're trying to do it with budget. We're trying to do it with all these boats. Yep. Wasn't working. Um, Leicester was awesome. Leicester, pick, Leicester uh, Fremantle picked me up for a year. Yep. Um, so I managed to do a season with Leicester, which was great. Well, that actually got me into reserve for the 2003 team at Long Beach. Okay. Yeah. So I made made the reserve team there and didn't get didn't get to have a ski, but had a fantastic experience and watched the great Steve Robbo running around there with yep. Marty Wells and you know just watching what they do and knowing how hard it was. It was just, you know, that was just mind, that was mind blowing. Yeah. So yeah, so made the reserve team. And that got me, that got me motivated to at least try a little bit harder for the next one. Yep. You know, I really, I, I, I thought I was doing the right things, but I never did. You know, I was, yeah. only, I was only bullshitting myself. <laughs> 
We're talking to Chelsea and, and a few of the people that have done wells, and, and Chelsea's um, on our podcast, on the right podcast as well, as one of our presenters, and she's probably going to get more into the athletic side of it. I'm probably a little bit more of the boat and, the, you know, that side of it. But, you know, she talks a lot about, you know, um, I think Craig Burton training people and, you know, having a personal trainer and doing all that mind stuff and, and plus all of the work on the water as well, which is probably stuff you... You didn't even know about. Yeah, no, it was it was a thing back then. You know, those Michael days and whatnot. Yep. And Scott used to, Scott would talk and work with these guys and do all that, get into that sort of thing. I just never had that. I always, I just like skiing and skiing fast. Yeah, and I just never thought that. You know, I didn't want to push myself to that next level. Yeah. So I just did it with what was in front of me and whatnot. Uh, it, these guys like that, you know, Scott was really take Scott started to really take it to the next level. Yeah, and he was really pushing into into something else. Yeah, yeah. You know, so he, yeah, he would have really had a really good go at it. You mentioned Scott, and I suppose you know it's it's part of the story and the elephant in the room. Obviously, poor Scotty um, hit a swan. I think it was up on the Clarence yep. River in um, October in two thousand, um, and unfortunately passed away. How, how do you deal with that? You know, how what what goes through your mind? Do you, do you want to stop racing? Talk us through that. So much stuff goes through your mind. You know, like I probably probably could have and should have just hung it up then, mm. walked away and just said, you know, that's it. Um, Dad was happy to do whatever we wanted to do. Yeah. You know, as, as a team, he just said, you know, whatever you want to do. Like, he goes, I've got a boat. But, and um, I... I, I at that stage, I, I really didn't know what to do. Yeah. You know, uh, the sport had taken... The sport had just ripped the heart out of me. Well, Scott was your idol, wasn't he? He I, was your, your brother and he was... Best you mate. were mates. Yeah, yeah, best mate, little brother, buddy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he was just... And, you know, he was so dedicated to the course. He was going on to do something something awesome. Yeah. You know, they'd just come off um, with the sting, you know, setting this incredible time at Mildura. Yep. Just re- they reset the boundaries. They did, yet. didn't they? they? That Mildura race was record. Yeah, it was the equivalent of Cranny's 29. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it was. It really set a new benchmark. So you go through all those, and so, I'm sure it's with you still now, but where do you where I, do you end up? Um, what happened? I was still I was sitting back, and Scott's was at Grafton, and I think it was only... Jeez, I think we'd only got to the Sydney Bridge. And yeah. I think Leicester... If I remember correctly, it's a bit cloudy. I think I think Lester said, I've got Jason Dieball here and I've got no other skier. Why don't you just come and have a good time? I thought, no, I think I've got well, I'm not unfit. I'm good to go. Um, yeah, why not? So yep. hooked on a ski and had a little ski. I'm pretty sure it was only a few months later, actually. Well, that's yeah, it was October, so the bridge is in November, yeah. so it's only I th- two I, months. I'm, yeah. I'm, pretty th- I'm pretty sure it was only that quick. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. So I jumped on, had a little ski there, and yeah, you know, I don't think we did that. We didn't do that great. Yep. Um, but yeah, geez, there's a lot of demons, a lot of demons running through the head. You know, every, you know, and I, had nothing changed for the rest of my career. I had demons running through my head for the next whatever five years that we actually did full blown superclass. Ski, yeah, yeah, so, that's a tough one. And then of course, while we're on the subject, I mean, and it's the most tragic ski racing story I know is that you, your father then had a boat crash in 05 so only five years later and, and unfortunately himself and Mark Lewins wow what goes through your mind then yeah well that's yeah again yeah it just that's double yeah we're, we're really taking things to another level at that stage 
Yep. I didn't so much have... I was still skiing with demons. Still skiing with the demons in the head, but, you know, I was, I was really on top of my game after that. Yep. At, at that stage, you know, we're doing some... We're some of the most ra- amazing, amazing bloody races at that stage. We're skiing with Jamie Oliver at, at that stage. Yep. Um, yeah, we'd come off what could have been probably the greatest Southern 80 of all time, but yeah. which ended at... Ended a Warparilla Drive boat ramp. Well, I still think it is one of the greatest Southern A's all time because of the people that have watched <coughs> the video, it's the best video ever made. It's got some very rude words in it coming from Michael, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's very... It's historically correct. <laughs> it's historic. So for those that don't know, the, um, it was a gearbox, I think, in the end, wasn't yeah. it? It was blown budget. Yeah. And um, it blew a gearbox. The, the boys were on absolute beyond record time. And unfortunately, it failed. Only uh, was it four um, k's Warparilla Drive. Warparilla Drive. Yeah, which you ironically own a house on. Yeah, it was only just <laughs> back to back to our place. We nearly float back, float back for a beer. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was shattering. Yeah, but we and we also yeah we'd had some incredible runs all the way through there. You know, we um, Robin Vale, whatnot. So we're like seriously, just on top on top of the game. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we'd just come off. Um, uh, well, the year before we just won uh, Robinvale. Yep. So we went, went, we won Robinvale. Uh, went and picked up that other boat over in America, and um, <clears throat> the Top Gun boat. Yeah, yeah, Conley Craft. Yeah, yep, Conley. And then, um, yeah, and then we're so we're starting to build, build towards that, and start to think about going on to bigger and better things, and actually trying to. I just started actually being able to compete. Decently, I thought, <laughs> on on some sort of level in at the world world races, but um, yeah, starting to get on top of my game, and yeah, and then Dad passed away. Yeah, so so your best mate and now your other best mate are gone. Both gone, yeah. What do you do? Do you, you obviously sit back and go, "This sport's killing me inside." You it, know, it for is want a better term. Well, it, it it almost feels like I'm next on the list. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I felt like I was I already felt like I was next on the list after yeah. Scott. Yeah, you know, and having other mates part, have, losing other mates all the way. Yeah, you know, but you know, there was at that stage there was you know there was always me and Cam and Steve. Yep, we had a we had a good crew around us. You know, like we yeah. still we still wanted to be mates, and you know, I've got this sense of adventure that you know would never never stop. That which we are a mad ringer. Let's well, that's it. But the old <laughs> the old man certainly put a put a sense of adventure into me that you know <clears throat> it's a never a sort of never say die attitude. Yeah, oh, and and for people that did never met Michael, like, I was I was only lucky enough to know Michael for maybe five or six years, you know, properly. And um, he was um, he was just uh, as you said before, nothing would stop him. I remember that Robinvale race that you're talking about, and I, I spoke to Michael that Robinvale race. His back, he couldn't even walk. He couldn't even move. And, I, and the, in those, I've never driven them, but in those big Everinghams with the big cav plate, you know, I'm sure that was just hell on his back. And he, he actually said to me, I said, oh, Michael, how are you doing this? You know, because like, I'm soft as butter, as you know. And I said, how are you doing this? And, and he said, well, Dave, you just got to manage the problem. <laughs> that was such a Michael thing to say, but that's that's the guy that he was, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, look, you know, he just wouldn't. He just didn't know. Didn't know how to give up. Yeah. Had no idea. Had just didn't understand. Had no concept of it. So <laughs> wish I was like that. Um, so, yeah. So then, so yeah. So to pass on, you know, like so. After, how do I continue racing or continue doing it? I don't know. You just build up. You build up day by day. 
Yeah. So we've got a good crew. We've got a good crew around us. And we've got good mates. We still want to do something. It's what we do know what to do. So I thought, how do we make this safe, or how do we bring it back? Bring it back inside our limits. Yep. So we built that uh, twenty-one foot superclass. Yes. Formula two boat. Formula two boat. Yep. Um, under the Formula two boat rules that we knew were supposed to be, <laughs> we guessed we guessed them at the time. Yep. We we guessed wrong, but yeah. <laughs> Formula 2 was made to cheat, I think. Yeah, well, any airport class, to be honest. Any, any airport. Any, I'm a smock boat, Charlie. Exactly. Smock and, <laughs> and muck like this. <laughs> Every airport class is made to cheat. But we, you know, we had a great... We put together, we put together this airport we go and just get back to racing, you know. Like, so I've dropped back to, you know, 70-odd mile an hour racing, doing lakes, having an absolute ball. Yep. Got our got our crew together, you know, just had... had we just had the best time, so that, that just grew, it just grew from there. Yeah, Regroup. I'm going to touch on that a little bit more. I'm just going to jump backwards a little bit before we go too far down the track, because you mentioned the Cougar Stephen Morley <laughs> um, a few times. He's got to be one of your best mates. Oh. I, I figure he's um, you. You're like peas in a pod, you two guys. Um, the 1992 Southern 80. You're yeah. in under 19s and you're behind the big Everingham. Tell us about that. Well, back to Steve. Like, so Steve, yeah. I met in under 13s. I met him at Lake Byron Beat one time. And he was, a, you know, we're both just little kids. I'm a little ranger and he was a little blondie. <laughs> he looks like, he, his son Jack looks identical to him by, mm. right now, by the way. He does. The Cougar Cub. The Cougar Cub. And um, so I met him there. And then all of a sudden, so we go through a couple of ski races like that, and then Steve sort of drifts away. Stephen Cole drifts away from ski racing a little bit, and then all of a sudden he lands at Assumption College. Oh, right. One time. Yeah. And it's like, hey, man, like, I know you. I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, so here we are. Here we are going to boarding school together. Yeah. And so with no Steve's out of ski racing at this time. We're we're well and truly in ski racing at this time. It's like, Steve, you use a scare race. Why don't you get, dust your scare off and get out there and have a crack? So he's like, oh, yeah, why not? So he, him and Cole and, you know, a bunch of crews, we, we end up getting back into the point score racing. He, he gets back into racing. So all of a sudden we're racing around. Steve does a season with another crew. I do a season with another crew. And it's like, man, well, let's just ski together. Are you guys like maybe 16-ish? Yeah, we're about stage. 15 at this 15, stage. Yeah, yeah. 15, 16 at this stage. Yeah. It's like, let's go together. So, yeah. We um, hooked up from there, so from from that we go on and you know we did a season with the Yellow Everingham. I love that boat. Yeah, well we loved it too, but <laughs> <laughs> I probably we, loved it because of the paint job. To be honest, yeah, I yeah. love I love the paint job and saw a lot of it when we sit when we sat on the bank, <laughs> broken <laughs> every race, really every race for the yeah. entire season. Yeah, wow, just sat on the bank, just, yeah, you know, woulda coulda. Yep. Absolutely, Evelyn. You know, the typical typical story. Yep. So yeah, we we went through a whole season. We we didn't really know where we were going with it. Like we didn't know how if we were any good. We didn't. We thought we were. Yeah, yeah we we're winning all the points scores and all that sort of stuff. But You're getting to the rivers and mechanical stuff. We like, just yeah. So we never la- we never actually laid down a time to know whether we we're going any good. Yeah. So we get to the Southern Eighty, and you know, the year before was the first time in under sixteens. The first, well, the youngest people would be allowed into the Baker Splits. They break the rule. Ah, yeah. So yeah, they let us. They let us in as under sixteens. Yep. Next year was um, first year under nineteen boys. We took off wherever it was. You didn't. No one cared where you took off back in those days. It's not prima donnas like today. But 
<laughs> yeah. need, need three minutes between boats. And well, there was no Facebook to get on and complain about the fact that you had to pass well, boats, how, was it? How would anyone know if you were disgruntled? Yeah, that's right, they didn't, so it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, so now, now you've got three minutes between boats. Um, but yeah, we took off wherever. Anyway, so we took off, um, got to be crazy, beat us in the Blitz. Yeah. And we come second in the Blitz, and we're like, what the... Shit. What happened then? Shit, this is cool. Yeah. You know, we, you know, we thought we were okay. And this is the White Everingham, The White Everingham. Yeah, Everingham. Which I think was the first or the second The one, first. The first was one. Given the, it was given Dennis Robottom. Yep. Who took it to the top of Australia and did a, did a few points a few point scores with it. Yep. And then um, uh, Dennis was happy with his own setup with a 20-footer, and he gave it back to us. Yep. So, yeah, we got the hand-me-down. <laughs> got the hammy down. Yeah, so yeah. we put that. Um, it used to have the island cooler on it. Yes, it actually had the island cooler, yep. and we put the. Um, yeah, did that fluoro paint job, fluoro um, done yeah. on it like a week before the Southern Eighty. Yeah, it looked good though. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, so it, it just, did. It, it was cool. just epic. Yeah. So yeah, that that went on, and um, yeah, so we, we, but it was handling like a piece of shit. Yeah. Okay. That, because those boats really sat up on their cabs, didn't they? Different to the V bottom yeah. twenty footer that you had. Just floated. Yeah. Literally floated. But, um, yeah, so they weren't happy with it. So um, Dad and uh, Nankers took it back to Bendigo. Uh, took it back down, sorry, to Airplot. Yeah. And um, cut, I think they cut an inch off the uh, top, the prop shaft. Oh, okay, yeah. Moved the prop back under and next day. So completely untested. I think Dad took it for a little <laughs> run. Took it for a little run down the east. Hey, you do? Yeah, I took, I took it for a run around Airplot. Because that, you know, that's going to tell you what the head, dead man's going to look like. What a force, yeah. <laughs> totally... Exactly the same. Yeah. So we jumped, yeah. So we jumped out there the next day, and buddy, you know, dad goes, "Oh, you're going to have to help us around the corners a little bit if you can. Stop, you know, don't hang out too wide, don't don't pull mass around." Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we just go we, as it was. We just go for a ski, man. So still, we're told. Yep. So we're but so for that race, like we're in and out of the wash, trying to cross on the, on the inside corners. Yeah. Jump on. I'm skiing over with Steve on the. He was on the left. I'm jumping over into, into his left hand wash. He's trying to come out and staying in the he's staying in the wash around the right handers. Yeah. And I'm holding out wide trying to keep load off the boat. Yeah, okay. And um yeah, it just turns out bloody we win and break Island Cooler's record by forty five <laughs> seconds. And now, hang on, so we've got Dennis Rowbottom's giving you this boat back because he was happy with his. Yeah. <laughs> and Dennis's record's now gone. Yes. So the boat he gave back. Yes. That can't have been a good day for Dennis. Oh, I wouldn't imagine so. <laughs> Man, but, you know, like, we had no idea. We didn't We didn't know we were even in the same... You know, Dennis Rowbottom and Buddy Island Cooler, Jamie Oliver, mm. you know, they're just gods of mine. Yeah. You know, and we've gone out and been that record by 45 seconds. It's like... Wow. Is this real? Yeah, what happened then? Did this really happen? That's amazing. So we're going to jump forward, what was it, 12 years? 13 years? 12 years? 11 years. To 2003. 2003, yeah. The Cougar's pretty unfit. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's been doing any skiing. Well, we literally dragged him off the bench. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about that, because you had a skier who pulled out. Yes, we're looking for a skier. Let me try and remember. I can't remember Steve who. Steve Robbo? No, Steve Robbo, yes. I, I reckon we wanted Steve Robbo for that year, yep. and he wouldn't do it. Yep. And Steve Robbo came and joined us, ironically, the year after. <laughs> okay. When yep. we could have gone and gone better again, and <laughs> <laughs> we, we experimented with something and it shit itself. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so we nearly had Steve on the plane to come down and do that, and he didn't do it. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're left with no one. It's like Steve, man, like, 
Steve was, you know, observing, hanging out, eating pies and eating, donuts. Yeah, eating pies. He's never look. One thing about the cougar is never unfit. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. He, he's an athlete. He's a natural athlete, isn't yeah. he? He's, no matter yeah. no matter what stage he is at, he's always twice as fit as twice as fit as me. Yeah. So yeah, he, he, he was. But at this stage, he was you know really unfit. No skiing, no nothing. So we did a few runs and whatnot. Yeah, and then we we laid down a time, and we laid down a time. It was good enough. Yeah, it was just yeah. Eleven years later. Eleven years later, it was just a, it was just amazing though. Like to do it back with Steve, with with Tim, you know, Uncle Tim, Uncle Tim observing. Yep. You know, to lay it down like that, yeah, you know, it was just amazing. Just yeah. incredible. It was, and not just for you guys, we, for all of us, you know, on the bank, all the fans. It was the biggest topic of conversation in ski racing for the next year. You know, the, those boys, 11 years apart, have done the same thing with effectively the same boat. I mean, it was a different boat, but it was yeah. the same hull and, you know, same sort of setup. Um, it was really cool, and it was it was a great story. Yeah, I looked, it's just something we'd just, you know... <laughs> we'll never, we'll never forget that one. That's yeah. for sure. But you know, between they have that break between, and you know, we thought we we're probably starting favourites for the eleven in between, and <laughs> could never get anywhere near it. <laughs> and then we thought we were starting favourites for the next two, and we couldn't get near it. Yeah, you know, it's just. Such, it's, Do you think it's a, maybe sometimes because both those wins you've talked about, you've sort of literally said, well, there was really in our minds no pressure on us because we didn't think we were going to win them. Do you think that helps? I, I do think it helps. Yeah, but I, that doesn't help the mechanics. No, I, no. I think you know, you know, steel and push rods and that they don't gearboxes. Yeah, they don't, they don't work to emotion. No, they they, work, they, they stuff our emotions. <laughs> but I, Again, go back to the video with Michael. You'll see the emotion there, <laughs> mate. Um, a race that I, I know you and I both have absolute love for is the Barry Khan Memorial at Wagga. And I think, I don't know what year it was, I was trying to look it up today actually, but I think you missed out one year by about a second on winning the Khan. Yeah. Tell us about that, and then tell us about towing Lloyd Woolman in the Khan, you know, with your own boat later on. Um, yeah, skiing, um, that was back about 92 or 93, I was skied by in Formula One. Yep. Up again um, with uh, Wayne Mitchell uh, driving. And that was his Everingham? With the Everingham, Which is yeah. Which now Dirty Rat, for anyone who wants to know. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Donald would have known that. He would have known that for sure, yeah. He probably told me. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I couldn't have... There's one day that I just couldn't... I, I love I loved Wagga, and I just love the track. I love the, the... You know, just the test. Yep. You know, it's just so putridly rough and just comes in from all angles, and it's just... Yeah, it's the best test for a skier, anyway. It isn't and tight. Just and the, it's a great test for drivers and observers. So like, it's, a how, team, it's a team event. Yeah. Know? How many observers do you know can count to 15? Well, I couldn't once, so... <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you what, you're not the only bloke. There's plenty of people who have done either one too many or one not enough. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't quite count right one day as an observer. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, it's such a test. So, yeah, I, I couldn't have scared any better. I just scared the whole race my arm in the air, and we lost by less than a second to Dave McMillan. With status. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and um, that was just gut wrenching. Absolutely yeah. gut wrenching. Really? Oh, I, I, I just, oh, it still shoots me. <laughs> so, well, I guess the racecraft in, in that sort of water is probably a slightly better thing than the uh, Everingham as well. Yep. Oh, oh, yeah, probably. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can win, you know, 
Um, Legends have won it with less. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Stout, Chris Stout won it behind a racecraft. Yes. In 2012 or something, you know, like, yep. legends can do it. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's no question. So, yeah, and so since then, like, went there and with um, Budget, Pat O'Rani observing. Yes. I reckon 2012, 2013, same thing. I just could not, couldn't take my hand off the, off the rope. Just bloody had my hand in the head. Couldn't yep. put my hand on the rope. Yep. Just had my go, hand go, go, go. It was just the greatest day of my life. <laughs> Come back in. That's a big statement. Yeah, oh, probably the best, yeah, the best I've felt yeah. on a ski. Yeah. Come back in and, um, yeah, the uh, hero, bloody second, Daniel Graziano. Took off early and had an absolute blinding race. And, you know, young... Done again. Young Daniel, buddy, collected his first big trophy and, <laughs> and I've missed out again. So Poor, poor old Brett's here going, what do I got to do to win this What do I thing? have to do? So, yeah, look, I absolutely love that race. But going back there with Lloyd, who's probably the best skier for that for that race. Like, yeah. he, he's just made for it. Absolutely made for it. You had a long association with Lloyd. I mean, you know, I guess he... Look, I, I haven't asked him, but I would assume that Lloyd would say the only reason he's where he's at in his ski racing career is because of you guys. Um, oh, look, Lloyd... Lloyd like Chris Stout could escape by anyone, I reckon, and yeah. gone, gone straight to the top. You're he, probably selling yourself a bit short there, I reckon. But, but yeah, I never really, I never wanted to be an observer. I, you know, I was never, never an observer or a driver. I was always a skier. Yep. Um, and I started observing for Lloydy when he was well, well in under 13s. He was like 11 or 12. Yeah. You know, by old by under 13s, we'd won, we'd already won two Vic titles, and we won the under 13s and under 16s. Big titles at Lake Charm. Yeah. Mate, he's just such a gun. He's just a freak. <laughs> yeah, was that? That might have been with a borrowed boat that day too. We might have, we might have borrowed. Yeah, we did. We borrowed Noiseworks and towed him <laughs> in under sixteens. Yep. With a borrowed boat and towed him down the final straight at ninety eight mile an hour. I won't say a hundred because it'll sound stupid for an under thirteen boys. <laughs> and um, and he goes and wins under thirteens and under sixteens in the same in the same year. Like the kid's just yeah, a freak. He was a freak. He was a freak. Um, all right, so Lloyd, talking about Lloyd, and then for me, the Lloyd period of your career brings to my mind, you've done the Formula 2 thing with the superclass hull. Yep. Um, and done very well. But as you said, the rules are there to be uh, looked at and used. Oh. And I guess, I mean, most people thought that F2 boats had to be 21 foot when if you really read the rule book... They were actually allowed to be 18 foot at the time, weren't Correct, they? Correct, yeah. But we, we, we did it before the rules, rules were written. Yes. And don't worry, we joined, we joined in the chorus and built ourselves a lightweight 19 footer as well. That's where I was well. going with that, yeah. So, and, and I've got to say, and I worked for Ace Marine at that time, that carbon boat is still probably the most stunning, you know, look. And, uh, and it's actually something I've written down here. I want to touch base with you. All of your boats, Bretsky, all of your boats in your period, you know, because obviously there's your dad's and then you moved into your own career. Um, you, you, do you have a creative flair? Like, were you good at drawing at school? Because, honestly, all of your boats have, have not only been beautiful to look at, but they've all been different in, in terms of they don't look like the other boats that are going around. You don't run down the same path as everybody else. Yeah, isn't it funny, like, when we had Blown Budget, everyone goes, Blown Budget, that's the sickest paint job and everything like that. I appreciated the paint job, yeah. but number one, it was never ours. Yeah. 
And number two, two I just I was over that whole mural mm-hmm. whole thing. Yeah, we'd already had a bit of bad luck with, and it probably comes from being a Brown Brothers fan. Yeah, myself as well. <laughs> you and I both. That's why I love the yellow boat. <laughs> Big Brown Brothers fan. Yeah, and but Dad went off and did a. Um, did this boat and we thought it was going to be fantastic at the time. It had the Indian chief on the front and yes. all that sort of stuff. The, yeah, thumb, yeah. the 21, our second, our first 21 that we actually owned. Yep. So he goes and builds this 21, puts this awesome mural on it. Looks fantastic, like off, off the charts. So that wasn't the boat. That wasn't boat one. No. That was another one. That was okay. another one. I so that was, was yep. Pete Smith built another one. Yep, right. So, yep. you know, to spec, you know, so it come. It comes out. Dad puts a big paint job on it, and it was just the most unlucky boat we've ever had. Really? Yeah. Like we got, he got to the point where he just completely had enough of it. Got picked up a forklift once and drove drove the forklift straight through it. Oh, really? Yeah, had enough. And that was the end of that boat. That or? was the end of it. Rode it off. <laughs> he but is a wild man, Mike. And he couldn't drive a forklift either. <laughs> We obviously drove a well enough to drive it inside of the boat. Don't worry. When he was angry enough, he could do it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it was just that frustrating for him that in the end he's like, I've had enough of this thing. Yep. It was like the Southern 80 video with him in a forklift. (laughs) (laughs) I think you need a bit of that about you to be those types of guys, you know. Uh, Mark Cranny's the same, isn't he? You know, you don't want to get in front of Cran when he's got a temper on either. It's uh, no way scary place to be. No, yeah. So I don't know I don't know whether that's part of it or not. But yeah, that whole theme and the, that whole you know mural and yep. spray paint and all that. So when we did the oh when we did the um uh, twenty one foot the orange one, I'd a brown I'd a brown brothers sort of vision in my head and yeah, um, and I can see that in that boat yeah, and it didn't really it didn't quite come out. John um, Evans did that yep. So we worked together and yep. probably. Probably John had more of his touch on it than what mine. Yeah. So then when we got to the nineteen, the carbon boats and all that, I wanted to go down this really clean. Yeah. Clean. And it worked. Just, yeah. And because oh, for those, that, if you haven't seen them, you need to see them because Brett. Yeah, well, one of them is now called Anger Management. The the V six velocity that you had. Yep. Kevin Kevin Del- Delberg presented it beautifully for a little while as hardback. Did. Yep. Yep. And now a young fellow named Sam Lucas has got it. He's doing a great job with it too. But um, the V seven velocity that you've got full clear carbon. I mean, yeah. It's I, you know it's good to, it's good to work with people that understand what you're trying to say to. I'm not yeah. really good. At, I'm not really not really good at. I, I can't do any other work. I'm completely hopeless. I'm not, I'm not allowed to drill a hole. <laughs> yeah, you got Cameron for that. Exactly. That's where I was going to go. But to have someone like Cameron who just, who just he just reads my mind. Yeah. You know, he just he knows and he he wants exactly the same thing. Yeah. You know, so whereas I say I want a clean look, he will come up with something twice as good. Well, I wanted to touch base on Cameron Cox, and so now's probably the best time. I mean, that's been. I mean, I love Cam. He's, he's a good mate, and and he's probably one of your best mates. Um, he's. He's strange, like he's a perfectionist <laughs> to the highest order. I mean, we always laugh that Cameron won't be getting his feet wet ever, or getting, and there will be no dirt on any of the boats. <laughs> but all jokes aside, no, that's true. Without Cam, I mean, this operation would be a very different operation, wouldn't it? Oh, without Cam, you wouldn't have, we wouldn't even have this. Mm. It wouldn't have happened. It, like I couldn't, I don't have the, I don't have the drive to all the ability to create these things where Cam has all of that. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Without this, you know, Cam, it wouldn't happen without Cam. 
I just wouldn't have. I wouldn't have the drive, and I wouldn't have had something to do it with either. Yeah. Well, you said that before. You know, really, the, the whole reason you went back to ski racing after all that tragic stuff that went on was because you had the Cougar and you had Cameron and you had a good crew of blokes around you. Yeah, and it's just doing it with your mates. Yeah. And that's for us. You know, since day one, it's only been better about dealing with your mates. We've only ever had success. Uh, we've only ever really had bad failures when, if someone in the crew's no good. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. always, yeah. You know, unfortunately, there's always been a bad egg associated to bad times. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, when when we're doing it with their mates and we're all having a good time, that's that's when the biggest success comes. Yeah. Well, no, it's I'd, I'd, I'd seriously to be to be brutally honest and sorry to interrupt, but no, I'd, I'd I'd nearly rather. I'll, be... You're the one answering the questions. Oh. I'm only asking. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd almost I'd rather be an also ran with a really good crew than to. Winning with people I don't like. Yeah, yeah, and I totally get that. I've I've been on both sides of that coin, eh? And there's a lot more fun in coming fourth with one of your mates and having a laugh with him than winning with some bloke that you might not even like. Yeah, I just yeah, that's the, the beauty of all everything we've done. You know, well, to, to touch on touch on Cam, to touch on Piccolo as well. You know, like to grab Anthony Pickles and. Andy McKinnon that we had in the time, you know, like we had the, just the best crew, and we go out with this twenty-one foot, twenty foot, twenty-one foot superclass. Yeah, you know, laying down forty-one minutes at the Southern Eighty. Oh, I know, and we're you know just having a ball. Yeah, you yeah, know. that was. I was going to touch on Piccolo, um, Piccolo. I haven't seen him for a while, but he's uh, the bricklayer from out there at Black Rock. <laughs> but uh, he, he was probably a similar skier to yourself, I guess. Like lots of natural ability, probably not that keen on training. Um, no, Piccolo, no, he'd, push, he'd probably push harder on the training than what I probably could have, but <laughs> I was in a good space where I was coming down from a higher base. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you probably make a good point. But you guys really did dominate F2 there. With a boat that probably now wouldn't, no. but, you know, probably it shouldn't have even then. No, we laid, we laid down some really good times with those, with, with you know, with the 21-footer especially. Yeah. You know, Cam just, he just got a knack to bloody get these things down. You know, that boat wouldn't even see 80 mile an hour and doing 41 minutes. You know, it, it was, yeah. you know, people people would come up and ask him what prop he's running. Yeah. And, he, and he'd show them and they'd think he's joking. They wouldn't believe him. No, they'd think he's yeah. joking. I'd go, Cam, you've got to stop telling them people this. They think you they think you're full. He goes, they think I'm lying anyway. So why, why not just tell them the truth? Tell them the truth. Just tell them the truth. <laughs> it's true, though. Yeah, doing it with a 24 trophy. Yeah. They go, no, you're nice. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mate, you just go off and do whatever you got to do. <laughs> How fast are you going? 78 mile an hour? No, you're not. No, you're not. I I'm went doing, down there at 85. and I'm, I'm doing 85. And you, <laughs> you beat us by half a lap. And it's like, oh. Sorry, mate. Can't help you anymore. It's a true story. It's a true story. We see it all the time. I've seen it with my boat, Bretzky, you know, the, the velocity. I, one guy, I, I think I passed him a point score one day doing 79 mile an hour, and he told me I had to be doing nearly 90 because he was doing 85. Exactly. There's <laughs> a good batch of GPSs out there, and we never had one. <laughs> it was, yeah, downhill GPSs, I think. <laughs> yeah, but um, back, sorry, back to, back to mates. Like that, Exactly. Piccolo, Cam, Steve. None of this happens without none of this happens with bad crews or anything like that. Yeah, and and Cameron, for those people that don't know, I mean, he does the majority of work on the boats as well. You know, he puts them together. You know, and... So Dennis and Simon, Dennis and Simon, obviously, you know, fantastic down at Race Marine. And one yep. thing, one thing I did learn through all the things that Dad did, you know, bouncing through mechanics, all that sort of stuff. When you've got a good me- mechanic, you've got to be loyal to them. Yeah, and to have that relationship with Simon and Dennis down there. 
and for them to also allow <coughs> Cam, who's not part of their team, not part of their workshop, yep. to go down there and just have free reign to work work with them, yeah, and to help out, you know, like yeah, we couldn't have, we couldn't have done the things that we did without that, and that inspired me from every from the first build to yep. build the second one, to build the third one, to do the next project, yeah, you know. That that just kept me that kept me motivated. Do you enjoy the project? I do. I love the project. Yeah. So the organisation and what am I going to do next? I know you're a big one for having the catalogue out. Look what you can get from America or whatever. You know, you love that stuff. Yeah, I, I just love I just love the process of it and just seeing you know what you can actually put into the next one. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and then it comes to how clean you can do it and how how nice you can do it. But yeah, I, all all these projects, there's been so much fun with Race Marine and. Yeah, it has been, and I get what you're saying there. I've been similar because you've probably seen it too, where a guy will, for want of a better term, crap the shits with a with a mechanic because something went wrong, and then they go to another mechanic, and then something goes wrong, and they jump around everywhere. All of a sudden, they haven't got a mechanic to go to because no one's perfect, I guess. They're never perfect, and don't get me wrong. There's been there's there's ups and downs. Yeah. You know, I'm sure Dennis, Dennis or Simon probably sit sick of my shit too sometimes. <laughs> but I'm not really saying that to be, you know. <laughs> no, no, I totally get it. Hey, they're the same with me. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah, but it, that, yeah, that's part of the that, I think that's part of the creative journey. You've got something when you've got something in your head and you can't get it out. Mm. Yeah, you know, it, it comes out in frustration. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're lucky. We've all pointed in the same direction, and everyone's been on the same page. So you do the Formula 2 thing, you're having a ball, it's your mates, you're racing, you're winning stuff, you build that V6 and that's the same deal again, you're winning more stuff, but then you decide the big game's on again. Was that about Lloyd or was that, what was that about? That was Lloyd driven, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the opportunity to do the Worlds, we yeah. were bouncing between boats, Lloyd was just such a good skater. Yeah. Yeah, and deserved every opportunity he get. Angle kid. And great, oh, good kid, good family, you know, yeah. All, all the same things we're talking about, you know. So he'd really, I thought he deserved an opportunity, deserved the opportunity. We, typical with building boats and all that sort of stuff, we were frustrate, frustratedly, um, <coughs> the boat was running late. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Oh yeah, there was some water pipes for exhaust, I believe, at uh, Botany Bay first selection race. Uh, yeah, a little bit of drain. Yeah, that was that was for its first race. Yes. But before that, we'd have to borrow two boats. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, we'd borrowed boats before that. Yep. To get there, we must have to thank someone for the borrowed boats. Poggy stepped up to the plate there and loaned us noise works. Which back before that, let me let me digress. Um, when I had the chance to go to... I actually made that team when um, Dad passed away. So, 2005. Yeah, right. Yep. So, I made the Worlds team. Yeah. And um, we didn't know how we were going to do it with the boats and what we were going to do. Hoggy stepped up to the plate then and was going to um, tow me with Dad observing or... Uh, no, vice versa. He was going to let Dad drive. Yeah. With Noiseworks over at Hunstance. And, and he would observe. And he would observe. Yeah. Like, Hoggy's just... A, he was just a saint of a man. So for God, people listening, a lot most skate racers will know Hoggy, but it's Rod Hogman, of course, of um, Noiseworks fame. Yeah. Who uh, who was probably too generous for his own good, wasn't he? He, he, <laughs> you know? he really was. He was just so good to us. Yeah. Yeah. He was already heading over there with Cara, and they were, they already had their team. They had a team together. So yeah, Hoggy put put out for us. Yeah. He was prepared to do all that for us, and yeah, yeah. I'll, ne I'll never forget. But he. Um, Unfortunately, that was the worlds that 
you know, Dad passed away, I reckon, two months yeah. before that. So that just went on ice? Yeah, unfortunately I didn't. I, yeah. Well, that's understandable. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I really do regret not being able to make it there. Yeah. You know, I was really looking forward to that. Yeah. I thought I was prepared and I'd actually done all the hard work this time and I actually thought I deserved it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so I regret, I regret missing out on those worlds. It, it just shows you how something like that impacts your life in ways you wouldn't even think about, mm. you know. Shout out to Hoggy too. He's a bit crook at the moment. He will listen to this, so... Very good man, Hoggy. Real good man. G'day, Hoggy. We hope you're going all right, mate. Um, so... You so, build the V7. So, so digress, yeah. Um, yeah, so Hoggy loans, loans us his um, chaos for the Geelong round of the... Yeah, yep. While we're waiting for our V7 to be built from Race Marine. Hurry up, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so, yeah, we build that and we get that V7 on the water and go out to Botany Bay and picked up a bunch of points there in the worst water imaginable. Like, yep. it was the most putrid day ever. Yeah. They're pretty good boat, those 21... Chaos in the rough, was it not, or was it? Yeah, we know we did we did really well with that. Like, yeah. but Cam had no no time and sort yeah. of listened to Jeff for about three minutes and yeah, got out there and <laughs> yeah, and here you go, boys, drive this <laughs> yeah against the best in the world. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we didn't have a great tough kid. Didn't have a great great deal of time in it, but yeah, we did did really well. But you made that change that jump too. So because you said to me a little bit earlier, I'm not. I wasn't an observer. I wasn't a driver. I was a skier, but. In your later years, you became one of the top observers in our sport. Um, don't know. Maybe I'd say good skiers. Oh, you don't. Yeah, no. I'll, I'll yeah. Too, I, you, <laughs> I'm not saying yes. You had good skiers, but you had good skiers because good skiers wanted to ski behind you. And as an observer, you'd understand it. But I guess my question is: Do you enjoy the observing side of it, or was it a means to an end for you? Did you just want to look after your skiers? No, I. I I only I only did it to look after the skiers. Yeah. Yeah, and when I did get out there, I was too soft, to be yep. honest. I was way too soft. Preferable. Uh, um, yeah, I just... I, I overanalyzed observing too much. Yeah, okay. And I probably still do. Yeah. I ski I ski for the skier. Yeah. You know, so I... You know, I, I, I wave down from and hold them back when they yeah. probably could be pushed a little bit harder. You but, prefer that the other way around, don't you? Oh yeah, yeah, I suppose. But you know, I yeah. When it comes to these these days, you know, like one of one of the best times I had recently was um, uh, when Lloydie, Cam, and Griffo yeah took the boat out at Wagga last, last year, I think, or the year before. Mate, and they they got they went out there. I was happy just being a team owner. Yeah, just sitting yeah, you're happy with that. Uh, absolute ball. I I don't need I don't need to be there competing. I don't need to be. Um, I don't feel I don't feel I need to be out there. Yeah, I, I had just as much fun standing out there and watching those guys go out there and do it. And on top of that, like Griffo did twice as twice as good a job as what I could have done at yeah. that time. Yeah, Brian's been around your crew for a long Griffo's time. Griffo's been in the crew for a long time now. Yeah, he's a ripper. Yeah, he's a oh bloody oath he is. <laughs> he's a ripper. Big Griffo. <laughs> yeah, crazy. And he's lived and breathed ski racing. I mean, I remember as a kid when he was a skier. I think he broke his ankle, I think, and that was kind of the end of. End of the ski racing, yeah. yeah and he was yeah. out there doing all the um, selection races, not selection races, but the um, uh, the uh, the series and everything with uh, Gav Woolman at the time. Yeah, that was his that was his comeback for comeback for skiing. Yeah, and he skied behind me at Wagga. I reckon I even oh, Griffo's definitely observed in my boat a few times for me, and just a good operator, isn't he? Oh, Griffo, Griffo, you know, 
he's in the Sapphire camp at the moment, but he's still got a still got a Thundernuts t-shirt oh, there. You would have, you would have. You look up passion in the uh, dictionary. I think it's a picture of Griffo. <laughs> <laughs> he loves it. So we move through. Um, you've got the V7. Um, you're doing stuff like just being a team owner now and enjoying it because I guess you feel like you don't have a lot anything to prove. I mean, you've been there and done it. Anyone that doesn't know who Brett Deminks is hasn't ski raced. Um, you, you now have that decision to make because you've got a tribe of girls at home. Yep. Uh, is a dog a boy? Yeah, he is. Thank yep. God for that. Yeah, Bunny. Yeah. Thank God for Bunny. <laughs> but you do have a tribe of girls at home and now the girls are starting to want to ski race. Is that something you pushed or is that something that they just want to do. They saw Dad do it. They're around it. Whatever. No, it's just, How's that work? it's just it's not really a passion for them. I don't. Oh, for Georgia, I think it is. And Shana is Shana. Shana's so good. Yep. And like you know, for what they do and how they yeah, for the time on water they have, I can't believe how good they are. Like yeah. they they are really good. Yeah. So this year we just got Haley. We've had Haley up skiing and she's done her first races and she's just shown so much talent as well. Yeah. I, for mine, I don't. You know, I've never pushed them. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's completely up to them. Do you feel like you were pushed as a kid, or...? No. No? No. You just did it because you wanted to? Yeah. You wouldn't be doing it now if you didn't? Yeah, I was pushed in the right direction. Yeah. You know, and we were given the toys, and we are given, we given everyone to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, got, it got us in the right direction. Um, I never felt the pressure to be... Um, to do it every week, week in, week out. Yeah. Or yeah. pressure to win... As such, um, no. Other than what you put on yourself, no. It was always, yeah. You know, I've got, I've, there's regrets where I should have trained harder and I should have pushed harder at times when I when I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I let myself down a few times, especially yeah. through the world's campaigns and the world's races. I so, lost a little bit of enthusiasm through that. So, what would you say to young blokes listening now about that? Oh, it's exactly you know. I've, I can't even say I wasn't. Young blokes and girls. Yeah, yeah. I can't even say I wasn't doing it with the right team. It's just, it's just realizing the opportunities you've got at the time. Yeah. And not not squandering them. Mm. You know, not getting on the piss and not just doing the wrong. You know, not doing the wrong things. Yeah. You know. So yeah, I pro- I probably got re- regrets in that in that sense. Yeah. yeah. But when it comes to the kids now, no, there's no pressure. There's no pressure on them. Yeah. They can do whatever they they can do whatever they like with it. But you know, I've. Uh, Shana went off and I towed Georgia last year and um, Shana went off with Daniel and um, Cam and Casey Branson yes and they won well they won every race they did last yep. year I was doing the trophy presentation I know so I was handing them trophies nearly every week I and think those like, kids and I'm you know I'm on race safe I'm behind them I'm on race safe from the minute they take off <laughs> in Georgia's first race I probably stuffed up I was driving I was probably Stuffed up a few corners at the Southern Lady because I was trying to get on race safe to play Sam with the Shana's, Shana's finished. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, but then I got the, so I got the chance to observe for Shana this year, and yeah, man, I just couldn't believe how good she's going. Yeah. So yeah, I, I really want them to. I want I want for them to want to do it. Yep. But I want them to go on and do whatever they can. Yep. But you know, life's a busier time these days. It is, isn't it? Yeah, for whatever I, reason. Yeah. For whatever reason, you know, if you're not completely 100% dedicated to the sport, yeah. and I think that's where the sport's got to really learn a little bit too. Yeah. We've got, I think, you know, we've got too many races. Yes. I think, we're, you know, it sounds an oxymoron, but what, there's too many in that, too many that don't mean enough. Yeah. You know, you can race, 
you can race every weekend up in Sydney. You can race every weekend down in Melbourne. Yeah. But they don't mean anything at the end of the day. They, they haven't got any adventure. They're all just the same shit. Yeah. I, I, I get where you came. A lot of people agree with you on that. You know, is that, it's got to a point, like, for a guy like me that just works for a salary and has a scare race boat, and I love it, um, but I can't afford to race every weekend. So then I have to make that decision. And we spoke to Cam McConville, actually, in, a, in an earlier podcast, and people will have probably already listened to that, but he, he is of the same opinion. So Yeah, so, I, you know, it's easy, it's easy to sit, sit in an ivory tower and bloody point, point down and say this is how it should be. Hmm. But my thinking is that there just needs to be more races that actually mean something. You know, more, we need more Wagga in our life. Yeah, well, yeah. And who doesn't need more logger in their life? But something that's, yeah, things that actually mean something. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. Maybe, uh, and you and I have spoken about, you know, having an invitational race or, you know, something that, that, that has a name attached to it or so a, a point at the end of it. Yeah, um, I, you know, off the top of the head, like a format. You know, it, it, just to renew the formats, you know, like what about a teams event where you've got an under 38, under six, two junior kids and two senior seniors and you race race all those people against each other for points yeah you know you say so thunder nuts has lloyd woman and buddy emma barnes and whoever whoever they got back in the day yeah and a couple of older skiers and we all compete against each other yeah. sort of tasman challenge for the um for the rest of rest of everyone for the rest of the world i just yeah. think you know I, I think we need to head, head into something that just needs a little bit more rever- you know point scores are great and that's what the point scores get you to the world's yeah. And that's a big change that we made like a couple of years ago, you know, when we were on the board, moving to 15 minutes, and now we've got world champion Victorian skiers. Yeah, that's right, and running, or attempting to run um, Grand Prix-style events as well. Yeah. Doing that hour stuff, which, you know, um, it's it's a balancing act, isn't it? Because you always get the people that say, oh, you don't want to just cater to the big end of town, and then you, you get... You, but you, I believe you want the big end... You have to have the big end of town, because that's the elite of your sport. I think that's where we got lost with that old um, Super Series. You know, for whatever, I won't get into the politics of it, and I don't know the politics of it, but the concept was probably one of the most, you know, it's probably the biggest stepping stone that we could have taken in ski racing. Yeah. To have the best of the best doing it in front of massive crowds. Mm. You know, Peter Ross had done it in the past with Newcastle. Noel had done it with New, started to do it with Newcastle, Geelong, all these places, and you know, we had thousands of people that maybe had never never seen ski racing. Yeah, and you got Wayne Moore and Buddy Peter Proctor <laughs> going toe to toe in yeah. a fifteen minute race. Yeah, you know, like that was probably the most exciting. I, I reckon that was the most excited I've been about ski racing in a long time. And, yeah, and for the politics and for the people who said, you know, you know, how what about us? I can't run my can't run my boat there, <laughs> and we're wasting all this money on this and that. I won't get into the politics of it because yeah. I don't know them. Yeah, but that was. We need a stepping stone like that if the sport's ever going to go. Well, that's, that's where a, it was. Effectively, a national series, isn't it? You was know? that national series? Yeah. Yeah, like V8 supercar go from the tip of Queensland down to Tasmania, don't they? Over to Western Australia and, and have a race. But we can do that these days. You know, boats don't break down like they used to. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Used to, we used to tow a boat back up and down the Hume Highway. <laughs> you know, pick it up in Nancurvis, yeah. take it to Sydney, drive it back in Nancurvis, they get pulled apart and yeah. get to the next race. Yeah. You know, that doesn't happen anymore. You've got these boats that just go forever. They do, these Merc packages. And they're skiers that go forever. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's unreal. What? So what do you think of, and, and we're starting to wind up now, mate, but um, and, and one of the final things I wanted to touch on was your kids, which we've done, but also the sport 
in general. Um, speed caps, tell me what your thoughts are. I like speed caps for the juniors. Yeah, I really do. Um, it's part of the part of the reason why I'm happy with my kids still being in it. Yep. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, it caps the Lloyd woman coming yep. coming through the system a little bit, but. You know they'll eventually they'll eventually get there. You know Jack. Yeah. You know Jack Houston was still doing F two when he was in under nineteen boys. You know mm. he wasn't doing one hundred and ten mile an hour. Yeah. He didn't he didn't need it and he could have gone could go on to do anything. You know that I, I think the speed I think the speed caps while they're frustrating for everyone who who thinks they can be a you know hundred mile an hour skate racer. Yeah. I, I yeah. While they might be while they might be frustrating at the time, I think they're a good thing in the yeah. end of the day. Keep it safer. Well, they teach people how to drive too. Yeah, and observe, I guess. Yep. The whole deal. You know, teaching drivers that you know. Well, how many how many broke how many records have been broken that were never going to be broken again? It's amazing. Oh, so, yeah. you know, we went through a, we went through a whole stage, and you know, Mark Craney was just a he was just a pioneer and a and a guru of yep. what he did. You know, he he built boats that finished. He had teams that you know he laid down times that he beat year on year, and you know what he did was just incredible. But he's doing it at 130 mile an hour. Yeah. You know, that was his style of racing. Everyone else has said, well, Mark Cranny does it that way. I've got to do it that way. Because everyone are just sheep. <laughs> yeah. People are sheep. Well, they're, they're looking at what the best are doing and they're trying to emulate that, aren't they? So, yeah, but you'll, yeah. Never, you'll never beat the best by doing the same yeah. thing, will you? Yeah. It's like your paint jobs. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, you know the, the, next, the next winner... Doesn't doesn't follow in the last winner's footsteps. Correct. Yeah. They step out of the wash and go around. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to step out of the wash sometimes, and that's where you know, all of a sudden, you know, Mark's done all done everything that he's done his way. Yeah. He's beaten everyone else doing that. They continue to do the things his way as well. Yeah. No one wanted to step out and do do anything different. All of a sudden, we get speed cap. We get skiers inside the wash, and we're, yeah. we're pushing faster times. Yeah. You know, everyone's had to think outside the square. Mm. So they should have done, you know, people, in hindsight, people should have done things differently rather than following Mark. Well, yeah, I think it, it, it says a lot about, and this is a Cameron Cox thing, is that, you know, corner speed and, and acceleration out of corners is a lot more important than what number you see down a straight. Yeah, it, exactly. The, the, <laughs> looking at the GPS at the end of the straight isn't going to win you the race. No. Yeah, and too many people fell for that trap. Yeah, yeah. Didn't worry. It didn't worry Cranny because he's out in front doing it. <laughs> but everyone who yeah. went behind, thinking they've got to do 130 at the end of that straight, yeah. was sitting there looking at that GPS. Yeah, and they never, they could never beat Mark. Could they? Unfortunately, they weren't accelerating. They didn't have the handling they did for the corner. corner. They yeah. they get to the corner and fuck the corner, and yeah, it's all over. That's life. But you know, that's right. That's racing, and everyone's got. I think people. The more people learn to do it their own way. Well, mate, it's been a good chat, but we're not quite finished because I'm just going to throw it over to you. I mean, in every ski racing career, there's people, we've probably touched on the people that I'm going to ask about, but is there anyone that sort of springs to mind <coughs> that's really helped Brett Deminks along or has mentored you or you've thought, wow, you know, I should be like that person? Oh, there's hundreds. There's hundreds, and I'd, I'd, we could do it again and I'd touch on all of them. Yeah. I'd, I'd, only, I'd, I'd only touch on a tenth. Yeah. But I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't for my mum or my wife. Yeah. Yeah. Between Di and Narelle, like if if it wasn't for them, 
you know, Narelle's understanding and Mum's understanding of me getting back into racing. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, Mum would give me one in the ribs every now and again <laughs> and say, you know, oh, what about this, what about that? But it was never a sit down, you know, have a good think about it, have a good look at yourself, what do you want to do? Yeah. It was always left to my, my judgment and what I wanted to do. Yeah. So, you know, it's got to be hell on them. Could you imagine that, like, the, I can't even imagine the pressure, the stress that I put them through <laughs> by going back to racing and, yeah. and doing yeah. that. So, yeah, I wouldn't, there's no way I'd be able to do it without them. Yeah. And now, for now, it's my mates and my kids. Yeah. You know? And if it, wasn't for, if it wasn't for all those guys, then, you know, I wouldn't still be doing it and still loving it. Yeah. So, we're in the COVID-19 thing at the moment, and you, you own a pub, so it's a bit tough in the pub world at the moment, so... Uh, <laughs> Um, don't envy you in that area, mate, but I, I think you'll be all right. The, the bottle shop's still going. We're doing beautiful takeaway meals down Take, at the Harp. So yeah, it's got Palmer's going there, down there. I'll well, be down there Saturday night. I'll go and get one. Well, hopefully by the time this comes out, we'll be uh, back to normal and um, everyone can just come down for a Palmer and a pot and be like normal. 100%. And the other thing is, uh, well, you and I are social distancing. We should tell the world so that they all know that we're, we're keeping away from each other. We, we didn't even hug when I got here like we normally would, but... Uh, um, hopefully, ski racing survives this pandemic. That's going to be the big thing. I yeah. Think. Well, the next step is you know how ski racing gets through this. You know, the, I think we're starting to get starting to get a good crew in, on the board. So, as long as the boards have got it, can get it under control and get us on the water, and then, like I said, you know, I've 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 touched on where I feel about ski racing at the moment, but you know, it doesn't really make any difference if we can't go racing at all. So we can't yeah. we can't come up with anything new. We can't go to any new places. If we can't go racing at all, so... 100%. Bretsky, thank you so much. Giving you, You've been very generous with your time. Um, people are going to love listening to what you've had to say. Um, you've been a, an amazing supporter of the sport when probably you really didn't have to be at times. And uh, you've been a good mate to me as well. You've, uh, you've helped me out a lot over the years too. So I uh, appreciate the chat, mate, and I hope to see you on the water real soon. Thanks, Bishop. Same here. Go on, you, mate. Wow. Did you enjoy that? Well, I certainly did. And I can tell you what, it must have been a bit of a hard interview, but what better hands to be in than Dave Bisho Bishop himself. And I'd like to thank Brett for opening up to all of us here at On The Rope Podcast. Anyway, it is time now for our podcast giveaway. It's over to Jack Coldrake. Thanks, Lumpy. The question for you to win an On The Rope listeners limited edition t-shirt sponsored by Savage Force Merchandise is, what is Brett's best friend Stephen Morley's nickname? If you know the answer... Head to the On The Rope Facebook page and message your answer through. Good luck. Thanks so much, Jack. And just remember to follow those prompts and like and share our Facebook page. But until next time, you take care, look after yourselves. My name's Mick Lumpton and I'll see you on the road. Audio production has been proudly produced by Mouse Media in association with our On The Rope podcast sponsors. Coley's Toe Bars and Bull Bars, Mark Savage Merchandise, ARS Automation and Robotic Services, TJH Coaching and Consulting, Rapid Concepts, Spend Productions, Bad Lad Australia and Bisho Media. Bisho Media.